Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to You Come First with me, Megan Barton Hansen. You may know me from the 2018 series of Love Island. Since before Love Island, I've always had a passion for women's rights and interests. So I'm here to tell you everything you need to know when it comes to putting yourself first, whether that be in a relationship, in the bedroom, your career or your mental health. I've called in friends from around the world for an intimate, unfiltered conversation that will change your life forever. The reason I started this podcast is because since I've used my platform to speak so openly, I've had so many of you contact me on social media and even stop me in the street asking me to do a podcast. So now we really can get down and dirty and discuss the most important things that just aren't talked about enough. Expect lots of laughter, a few tears and for the penny to finally drop as we discuss the most taboo and private topics, helping you focus on the fact that you come first. Today I have a really special guest with me, Timmy Shotira. We met at an event recently and once I got to know more about Timmy's story, I knew I had to get her in and talk to her about her unique and inspiring life so far. And she's only in her 20s. A fellow Essex native, Timmy was the first in her family to go to Cambridge University and being black and queer, she definitely faced some challenges. Timmy, thank you so much for coming on to talk with me today. You're so accomplished for someone who is so young. Um, but can you tell us a bit about your backstory? I know you're from Brentwood, near me, a fellow Essex yeah, girl. Essex girls. <laughs> what was it like growing up in Essex 20 years ago? Oh my God, when you say 20 years ago, it makes me feel so old. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, growing up in Essex, it was... It was an interesting experience because I'd say that, like, I, nobody was ever, like, really mean to me when I was younger. I wouldn't say I was, like, bullied or, like, I had a really awful time, but I definitely was aware that I was different because I was, like, the only black girl in my friendship group or, like, one of maybe three black girls in my year. And so I just remember growing up always feeling quite insecure about looking different and having a different background to all of my friends Mm. and I always thought that no matter how close I got with people in school there'd always be like a gap in knowledge or understanding of each other um so yeah I think I just had that for like the whole time growing up and I just like looking back on it I definitely wasn't very secure in myself I just 
thought that I was like weird and because I was different that meant I was less than all of my friends and stuff um but yeah I, I, I think I also just wish I was from London <laughs> I don't know. yeah um because I, I knew like a lot of black people were living in London a lot of my family um we're in, like lived in more diverse areas and I just really envied that I wish I just was raised somewhere that was more diverse but then also looking back on it I I do actually love Essex now like I think I love my friends from there it is a great place but um yeah growing up I just always felt really weird about it yeah I was the same like growing up I just felt like Essex is so like small and like narrow-minded and I don't know, there was so much going on in London and it was so much more diverse and just interesting. But I think as you get older, you kind of appreciate, like, the little things about where you grew up. I was always ashamed to say I was from Essex, like, especially South End on the Sea, because it's, like, deemed as, like, oh, a trashy, like, seaside town. I kind of was like, oh, I'm from, like, Essex, and then wouldn't really want to tell them, like, oh, from South End. (laughs) That was me, because I'm from Brentwood, and it was, like, Brentwood was towie. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, I'm from Essex. I wouldn't really say. And I also feel like it might be different now, but I feel like growing up, everyone was very similar in Essex. And if you didn't fit that mould, you could like really feel it. A hundred percent. And had you always wanted to go to a university like Cambridge? <laughs> so I actually had never even thought about it or considered it until I'd gotten my um results in year 12 because I, I think it's like a bit different now because you know how the education system's always changing mm. um i think so when i was in school you had like as levels so you'd do um exams when you're in your first year of sixth form or college and then you'd get your results and that was like half of the a levels and then you do the second half in your final year of school mm. so I ended up doing way better than I thought I would do than I thought I was gonna do Amazing. in my first year so I kind of saw my results and my dad was I'm just I have the memory of like my dad and my sister looking at it being like you could apply to Cambridge for that <laughs> and being like wait what no <laughs> that was never on my radar and like I think I just again it was like a self-confidence thing like I'd never thought about it just because I just never ever saw myself as being the kind of person who'd like go to Cambridge I think and again it's it's probably changing a bit now with like the Stormzy scholarship and stuff but I do think that growing up Cambridge was kind of all the poshos and like the people that like went to the had like were really rich had money went to the really good schools or like I don't know just like had a certain way about them like I know what you mean. Horse riding and stuff. Yeah. Like went to boarding school and like from birth it was just like destined that they're going to be super academic and And just And like their parents went and their grandparents went. It was like, it was just always seen as that kind of place. So when I had the results, I I still was like, yeah, I've got the results, but like there's so much more to going to Cambridge than just having the grades. And then even my school was saying a similar thing. They were like, they were kind of discouraging me from going. No way. Yeah, my history teacher literally took me away at the end of one lesson and was like, I've heard you're thinking of applying to Cambridge. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. My parents are kind of pushing me, but, like, I don't know. And she was like, yeah, you know, like, Cambridge brings in a certain type of person, like... And and she listed off the, like, head... Like, the last head boys that were in my school who were all, like, posh people that, like, 
were in like the army, they did that, the army school thing, like, I don't know, I can't even explain it, like, we're like grade eight in like the clarinet or whatever. <laughs> and she listed their names and was like, yeah, you're not really like them, are you? Like, the, no, like, she yeah, needs to the, be yeah. sacked. I know, and looking back on it, I, I, I should have complained, but because I was so insecure, I was like, you know what, you're, like, she's right. Like, yeah, I'm not a Cambridge person, what's the point? And luckily, my dad, I'm so glad that I had my dad because I got home crying to him being like, I'm not doing it. Like, my school kid doesn't think I'm going to get in. And he was like, who gives a shit what your school's saying? Like, if you think you can do it, you can do it. Like, like if it wasn't for my dad, I wouldn't have applied. I would have listened to my teacher and been like, yeah, I'm not doing it. Oh my God, thank God yeah. for your dad. And thank God that you're so strong because I know that's such a vulnerable age. For like, for me, I was so insecure at that age. If someone said one thing, I would take it to heart. So you're yeah, so Especially good. like a teacher. Yeah. Like... Someone that you kind of look up to and you think, like, just knows more than you. Like, for someone, I just know, like, yeah, I should have gotten them sacked. Oh, my God. Please go back, find out if she's still working, and I'm going to join you. We need to start a petition. Get rid of this. Protest, (laughs) yeah. So what subject did you study, and how did you choose the subject, like, when you decided and got into Cambridge? Um, So I did this course. It's a very convoluted name. It's called um, Human, Social and Political Sciences, which basically is everything ranging from, like, politics, sociology to anthropology. Um, I... So when I was young and naive, I really wanted to be an MP. So I just wanted to do a politics degree so I could become, like, a Member of Parliament and, like, change the world. I love that, that. dream death it fizzled out very quickly because I realised that MPs are just I just don't like politics I'm, I'm not a <laughs> politics person I don't have I haven't got the heart for it or the stomach for it yeah um so I applied for that course and I don't want to get too into the like Cambridge way of doing things because this isn't a Cambridge podcast <laughs> but the way a lot of courses work in Cambridge is that they're really broad so they have these broad names but you can specialise in it mm. so the name of the degree is Human Social and Political Sciences but you can go in and kind of pick a track under that umbrella name to do so I went in thinking okay I'm going to do politics but then after my first year, I was like, I don't like politics. So I decided that I wanted to do sociology. Right. Um, just because I think... I love I love sociology. I'm a massive sociology nerd. It's just about learning how people work and interact and looking at things like um, social justice and inequality. And those things really matter a lot. Like, they mean a lot to me. Mm. So, um, yeah, I decided to do sociology and that was kind of what I specialised in. Like, that's what we call it. It's kind of like in America where you have a major. Right. So my specialism was sociology, but the degree was human, social and political sciences. I hope that's a good enough explanation. Yeah, no, that's I know there's great. A lot of, okay. No, I get it. So I'd done sociology at GCSE level and it was like the only GCSE <laughs> that I cared about. So I can imagine and as difficult as it must have been, it must have been so interesting and sounds it way more really interesting good. than politics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, like, another thing that um, put me off applying to Cambridge was that, like, um, it lives up to the stereotype of being just very academic and, like, traditional and, like, just focusing on classical stuff. So politics, I thought I'd be learning about, like, um, I don't know, like, terrorism or, like... Um, 
climate change, just like pressing political issues, but it'd be like looking at Plato mm. and like reading his text or like just looking at really old white men from like <laughs> the olden days. Yeah, um, so boring and outdated. Yeah, <laughs> just like looking at their text and like analysing it and I just thought it was so dry. Um, so which is why I moved to sociology. Such a good choice. So what was your yeah. overall experience at Cambridge like, would you say? Um, so Was it what you expected? Was it better? Was it worse? This is the thing, because I had like no I, idea of what the uni was like. I didn't really have many expectations for it. And I, I think I kind of thought I'd have like a, a normal uni experience. And it just really isn't like any other uni in the UK. Um, yeah, I, again, I look back on it and I'm like, Timmy, you are so naive. Why couldn't you just do a quick little Google search? Or like, <laughs> just give yourself like 15 minutes before we walked in to see what you're like, what you're about to expect. Um, yeah, I think I thought my experience at uni would just be like all of my friends or like people that I knew that had gone to uni. I kind of thought I'd like have that freshest experience. I'd be living in halls and like living in a house my other years. I'd meet a lot of people who were like me. But, yeah, the Cambridge stereotype of it being full of, like, very well-off people that are quite posh is is true. Um, I got there and I was like, OK, I thought I was, like, a minority in Essex. This is different. And weirdly enough, I almost feel like being raised in Essex as, like, a black girl kind of prepared me, in right. a way. Um, I felt like by then I was a bit... More, I was a bit stronger and I think I was feeling a lot more secure in myself because I'd actually gotten into Cambridge so I was like I can actually do it um, but then I think when I was at Cambridge I just I met oh I don't want to say I don't want to say too much I like bait people out um, <laughs> I think Still I just made tea. a lot of mistakes yeah I made, I made a lot of mistakes and like people that I became friends with so I think because in Essex I was so used to like feeling like I was stuck out or like not really belonging I really wanted to almost like reinvent myself in uni mm. so I was like okay when I get to uni I'm gonna like be part of the cool group or like make friends with like people that I see as being cool mm. um but my idea of what cool was was very much like rooted in just like an, it, it just rooted in immaturity. I think I saw the cool people was like those that like went out every night that like thought they were, thought they were like better than everyone in a way. Like I don't know because I don't know how to explain it. But I then realised after my first year that like firstly there's no such thing as like the cool group. Yeah. Just be friends with whoever you want to be friends with. Like it doesn't really matter. Like. All of those things just don't matter. Like, people that... Being popular and those things are just... Yeah, it's just like... Oh, my God, I feel like I'm summoning over my words. No, no, <laughs> yeah, I completely just, get it. It's just not that important. And I think that's one big thing that I really learn in uni because I spent so much of my time in Essex wanting to be cool and wanting to fit in. And then uni taught me that, like, I've been chasing this thing that I don't actually need. That I don't... I actually don't need to be seen as cool. From, by other people I don't need to be in like the quote-unquote popular group or like 
do all these things. I can just be myself and the right people will come to me. Yeah. Did you learn that quite early on in your experience? Like it makes perfect sense if you felt like an outsider or you didn't fit in in Essex and then you're going into this other environment where you're going to feel even like more of a minority. It makes sense to like yeah. get in there with the popular cool kids as people yeah. say. But did you feel like once you was in with a popular group, I don't know how long you was there for, but did you think, actually, these aren't the people for me? It's not what I want. I'm just going to focus on studying and people that I actually have a vibe with. Or did you have that same friendship group the whole time? <clears throat> yeah, so I think I definitely... I think I did realise quite early on, just because there were certain things that, like... Um, made me feel, like, really uncomfortable. So, you know how I mentioned that when I was in Essex, my friends were actually all really, really lovely. I just felt like an outsider. I think when I got to Cambridge, I realised that I actually kind of had a good thing going on in Essex. Like, my friends were very considerate of me, but in Cambridge, the people that I thought were cool were actually quite ignorant. Mm. So they would say some things to me, like, about my race or my culture, or like, about the fact that I was from a working-class background. That just made me feel really uncomfortable and just felt quite insensitive. So, I, and that was, like, in my first year. So I realised that quite early on. But then, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I think there was still, like, a small part of me that was like, oh, I can't fully distance myself from this group just in case like they actually might um be like worth it in the end like maybe I'm making a mistake here so I did stay friends with them for the whole time in uni but I definitely did like distance myself throughout the three years I was there and like now that I've graduated I'd say that I'm actually really close friends with those people that I met like in my first year that I was thinking oh actually I think they're the people that I should be friends with they're now my best friends yeah. so it, I guess it has worked out and to be honest I think I'm glad that I went on this journey because I now feel a lot more sure of myself yeah for sure yeah. and I feel like every young person does that they just want to fit in they just want to feel like okay if I'm in that popular group life's going to be easier and like kids and young people can be evil like I got bullied at school like <laughs> yes. so it's best to just stick wait no way with... did you get bullied in school yeah badly oh my god I'm so sorry about that I think everyone gets it a bit it's just kids <laughs> are honest, evil yeah because <laughs> yeah, even I got bullied in school like I think yeah you're right everyone does in some way don't they kids are so shit that's why I think we need, like, more mental health support for, like, at schools. Because the only reason people bully is because they're, like, their own insecurities and projecting. But exactly. that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but do you think universities today are doing enough to combat institutional racism? Would you say? Or not really? Good question, Maggie. That's a very good question. Um, so what I think, and this is something that I realised when I was in Cambridge, um... Firstly, I think a lot of the UK like discourse and conversation is focuses on Oxbridge. It doesn't really look at other unis. So that everyone's talking about like, oh, there's not enough black people in Oxbridge, what's going on? But there aren't enough black people in a lot of the good unis in the country. Mm. That's like a whole other conversation. Um, from my experience of going to like an elite university, I think a lot is done to bring people in. So they do a lot to try and diversify the talent pool, like people being admitted into the university. But then once you're actually there, 
they kind of just leave you alone. There's like not really much support once you're actually in the university. So what I found was that I got in and like, I think every year that has gotten into Cambridge from my year has become more diverse. But what I found was that I got in and I was like, okay, I'm here. There aren't really many people that are like me here. But then all of the other students that had gotten in that came from the more like traditional Cambridge backgrounds had like no knowledge or understanding of people like me. Mm. So I kind of spent a lot of my time at uni, like educating people, kind of telling them like, no, that's not what you're meant to say. That's not how you should think. And now looking back at it, I'm like, that was not my job. My job, like I should have gone there to study and have fun. Not not to try and like be the anti-racist advocate. And like, I felt a lot of pressure from other people. And I also put pressure on myself to kind of be that voice of reason. And yeah, I think looking back on it, I think university should have like, actual institutions or bodies and groups in place to try and educate their own students and faculty members and like lecturers on how to I don't know just how to like be decent people it shouldn't be on the job of the students to be doing that themselves yeah exactly when you're there trying to like you say make friends learn yourself that should not be your responsibility whatsoever (laughs) it's mad how yeah. did you find because I feel like from what I've seen I've only done one talk at Cambridge Uni and I felt like mm-hmm. the pressure and everyone talking about their studies and their results and it is just a different world like when I walked in it's there so it's like different. Hogwarts I was like oh my yeah. god um so how did you yeah, find you spoke at the union didn't you yeah yeah and yeah. I was so nervous I felt oh, so out of place I was like oh my god I'm just from South End and I felt so like not judged, but I just felt like they were, like, looking down at me and, like, really intrigued to see, like, what I would say because I'm from, like, a working-class background. But there was actually so lovely. It was fun. But I think it's just, like, built up in my head. But it was just, like, a different world, like Hogwarts or something, like I said. And the pressure seemed intense on, like, everyone's studying and stuff. So how did you find the pressure? Yeah, like, you're right. It was very Hogwartsy, and I think... This is another thing that I didn't really think would happen, which doesn't happen at other unis, but it's such a big thing in Cambridge. Like, people's degrees are, like, their whole lives, and it's, like, their whole identity. So you'd go to a party, and people would just be talking about their lectures and stuff, and I'm like, guys, like, we're not in the library. Like, you can't act- it's actually okay to not talk about your degree. And I remember when being at Cambridge that I did feel pressure to kind of make like sociology for example my whole brand and like do all the reading under the sun about like sociological issues and like come out with all these zingers and just be that person because that's just what everyone else was doing um but again like looking back I'm like your degree is like your degree and you study it but you're a whole person outside of your degree like it's actually it shouldn't define your whole life because there's so much more to life than studies. But it's really hard when you're in that bubble to remember that. That is It's so only when you true. go back into the real world and you're like... Firstly, like, in the... Like, in the... Where I'm working now, most people don't even have degrees. And people that do, like, they don't even talk about it. It's just, like, a thing that they did years ago. Whereas I think in Cambridge, you're made to believe that, like, this degree that you do is going to have, like, a imprint or marking on the rest of your life so you have to like work really hard and like get a 
first and like 90% across the board, otherwise you failed and you wasted your time in Cambridge when it just isn't true. Yeah, I feel like there's so much pressure. In hindsight, you saying that about that's all people spoke about. When I went for my talk, there was no talk about like what people's like weekend plans were or like anything personal. <laughs> yeah. It was pure studying and I wasn't even studying or that's, knew what they was talking about. Why, why, why are you seeing that? Like you're not even a student. Like it's so silly. It's a different world. But when you look back, did you have good times as well? Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. I haven't even spoken about like anything good about Cambridge. Like I actually did have a really good time there and my best friends now, most of them are actually from uni. Like it took me a while to find people like me, but I definitely have. And I think it makes our connections even stronger because like me, they felt out of place in Cambridge. So they can relate with me in that sense. Mm. Um, And I think like there's a certain aspects of going to Oxbridge that you just you'll never experience again so like we had these things called formals which would um three or four course dinners that happened every week that you could like choose to go to and you'd wear like the black like Harry Potter gown and you'd like sit at a candle lit dinner and like you'd have a three course meal and you'd get really drunk <laughs> and uh, they were just great or like we had these things called balls where they'd um get a whole Cambridge college and just like turn into like this big like fairground or like party that would go from like 9 8, nine p.m to like six in the morning oh my god yeah it was and it would be like free food drink musical acts fairground rides and um, so like there, there were some things like that that were really special to the experience that I will always like remember and cherish um, and I definitely have met such amazing people like I, even when I was talking about, like, um, the popular group and wanting to fit in with them, I, there were some people that I met in that group that are still, like, my best friends today um, that I absolutely love. It does sound so, like something I can't even relate to, but, yeah, then they're telling me about these <laughs> dinners when they're, like, wore these special gowns. It's like, oh, my God, it's, like, going back in time. I just wanted to attend, not yeah. to study, but just to have a week and just pretend, just write, make up notes <laughs> in my book and just sit there around all these posh people. Lecture, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it is, it, it is, like, just, even at the time, I, it felt, like, very surreal. I just wasn't used to it. And thinking about it now, I'm like, that was so weird. And it just felt really normal. But it's a really weird thing that we did. It is so weird. I want to <laughs> go back and just walk around again. It's just, like, nothing I've ever experienced. Yeah. But it's like a whole little bubble, isn't it? So weird. But from your time in Cambridge, you've done your sociology and now you're an established journalist. So can you tell us a little bit about how you found your way into this career? Yeah. Um, God, I feel like every story I say with you just starts with me being really insecure. But um, <laughs> I have loved writing and books like since I was a child. So when I was in primary school, I was always writing short stories and poems and like that was just what I loved and I was reading all the time. But the older I got, the more I thought that it wasn't very cool to like have that as a hobby. Like no one was really saying that like, yeah, I like to read (laughs) as a hobby. And I was like, I want boys to like me. I want to make friends. So I'm just gonna like ditch that part of my life. So I spent my teen years not really doing much of that. And my, my plan was to always... I don't know, I think I put, looking back on it, I put a lot of pressure on, like, me um, 
rebranding myself in uni because when I was in school I said that when I get to uni I'll start writing again but then I went to Cambridge and like I said before I was very insecure and just didn't really believe in myself so I did none of that in Cambridge because I was like everyone's so much smarter than me like why the fuck would anyone want to read my writing but then when I graduated um I was just I was looking back on my time at uni and that was the one thing that I almost regretted like putting myself back and thinking just assuming that I wasn't good enough so and not doing anything as a result so I thought that um now that I'm away from that Cambridge bubble and I'm like back in the real world I'll just start writing again and writing about things that matter to me Mm. so um at first I kind of used my sociology degree to talk about current issues and things that I just saw happening in the world and my opinions on them um and yeah I got like um I would so one thing that happens in journalism what is you like write pictures so you kind of write like a summary to publications being like I can write about this because of xyz and and it's one of the worst things about being a journalist in my opinion because you get rejection after rejection after rejection so I would I remember um when I first graduated I would have like a Sunday afternoon where I just like send out loads of pictures and hear back from like none of them or get rejected from all of them and then after like a few weeks of doing that I got a pitch accepted from this publication called Black Ballad um, and I wrote for them and I also would write for my friend's publication for free a few times because he had like I'd say like a cultural magazine slash website thing where um, there'd be sections on like fashion, culture, music, art. So I interviewed a few musicians on his website for free. And it was through that that I was like, oh, I actually really like interviewing people. That's something that I find really interesting. And I also love music as well because I DJed a bit in uni and stuff. Um, so I was like, OK, I like to write. I like music, I like interviewing people. Maybe that can, like, be the thing that I do. So, yeah, yeah, I just started, like, um, doing that. And as I started doing it more, more editors of publications started to know who I was. I would ask me to do things. So it kind of became, like, a bit of a snowball effect where I just found myself being asked regularly to, like, interview people that I really loved and rated. And I was like, I can't believe this is my life. (laughs) Amazing. And now it's great because, yeah, now, like, I'm in a space where I feel like I'm doing what I've always wanted to do when I was a kid that I just kind of got a bit too embarrassed about. So I feel like I'm making my inner child very happy. Oh, I love that for you. (laughs) Empowered and using all your best skills you've, like, learned along the way. I love that. Yeah. Out of all the people you've interviewed, who would you say has been your favourite? Because you've interviewed some amazing people in the music industry, haven't you? Let's yeah. do some name dropping, please. Oh, God. Okay, so I guess, like, I'll do the, the ones that people I definitely think will know. Like, so I interviewed Dua Lipa earlier this year because um, she collaborated with Puma um, to create this shoe. And, yeah, I interviewed her for that. That was just, like, 
so surreal because that was something that I I remember I got a DM from an editor being like are you up for like interviewing this like really big artist and I just was like this is spam I was gonna like <laughs> just block it but I was like you know what let me entertain this and I found out it was Dua Lipa so I was like thank god I did not block this oh my god could you imagine <laughs> I would I actually cried if that was the case um another artist that I have loved since I was a kid that I interviewed in January was Jasmine Sullivan. She's an R and B singer and just has like the best voice ever. I oh my god, I what's like her really legend. famous song about the smashing of the windows? Bust your windows. <laughs> I yeah. love that one. Yep. Yeah. Oh, when I was when I was like younger in school, I would listen to that on the bus. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. My first ever breakup. I think all I did was kiss this guy, but I was like blasting that out of my Nokia. <laughs> I love that. You kissed him and you're like, you flash your window. Literally, pure psycho from year seven. <laughs> no, that was me. Like, literally in year seven, like, there'd be a boy that I fancied. He never even knew that I fancied him. And I saw him, I'd see him, like, hug a girl. And I'd be like, fuck you, but bust your window. Um, so, yeah, I think they were, like, the biggest people that just felt really surreal. Um, I interviewed Brie Runway. <gasps> last year before she like became like as big as she is now she's just amazing like her personality is just it just shines through like she's great um who else can i name drop why is my mind going blank i think they're like the people that will like be known by the most I think there's a lot of people that I like nerd out over, but I'm not sure you'll know them. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're huge names. Do you ever get nervous before you interview them, or not really? Um, I say in the beginning I did, but then after you do a few, you kind of realise they're all just people. Yeah. I think I'm I'm not really one to get a starstruck anymore, and I actually think that's a good thing. Like I think I'm glad that I've gotten to that point because. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that, like, people that are in the spotlight almost hate to feel like they're celebrities or, like, that they're different. They kind of want to be just spoken to, like, a normal person. Yeah. Um. So I'd say with the Dua Lipa one, I was definitely nervous because I was like, okay, this is actually a big deal. But I think for everyone else... And the thing is, with her, there were, like, eight people on the call. Oh, my <laughs> so God, that's pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I can't say anything wrong here. Um, but I think for everyone else, I was like, nah, these are just... I had to remind myself, these are just people talking about their music. Like, then they're, they're not... Like, they don't want to be seen as anything special. They're just here to talk about what makes their music great and why they love music so much. So, yeah. That's so true. Much of your writing showcases black British talent and you recently announced your participation in Black Joy as a co-editor and contributor. Can you tell us a bit yes. more about this and when will it be released? Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think one thing that's always mattered to me is um, just putting like, black people out there and like platforming them. Because um, I think just... Every, like, everything I've been speaking about to you, like, today just kind of has made me realise that I do care a lot about just making black people feel seen mm-hmm. and giving them a voice. Because I think growing up, I never really felt like I had that personally. Yeah. And someone who, as someone who's a fan of music, I think in the UK, there weren't really, like, a lot of black women, for example, in the music scene. And thankfully, that is changing now. I'm really happy that's changing. Um, 
so yeah, when I started writing, that was something that I was just really passionate about. Um, so I think most of the people that I've interviewed have been like black women, apart from a few like Dua Lipa. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then Black Joy is an anthology that I co-edited with Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuffed. She's a senior editor in the New York Times, and she was previously the editor-in-chief of this publication called Gaudem, which um, is a publication for women and non-binary people of colour. Yeah, and I think I follow them on Instagram, actually. Yeah, they're great. They're honestly amazing. Like, Charlie is just, like, a trailblazer. She's And you've written for so them much. as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I have. So I actually knew her professionally um, before. So what happened was last year, um, Penguin approached Charlie in wake of Black Lives Matter, the resurgence of them, and was like, we want to do an anthology about being black and British. And Charlie had the idea of making it about black joy because, um, like, as you know, like last year was really hard for black people across the globe. Mm. And I think she just wanted to create something that focused on blackness, but the joyful aspects and the parts that make us happy. Yeah. Which I think was like just so important to do. Um, so then at the end of last year, she opened up like, applications to have a co-editor so that would be someone who edits five of the essays writes their own essay and like just kind of like oversees the creation of the anthology alongside her so I applied for it interviewed for it somehow got it um, somehow because you're an absolute <laughs> boss bitch that's how oh, no, stop it um, so yeah like I got it and it's just it's been absolutely amazing um I think this episode will come out when, when the anthology is already out so it comes out September 2nd which is this Thursday <gasps> so it would have been out for a while by the time this episode is out um so I'm really excited we have a launch event on Thursday it's gonna be really fun we've got some amazing contributors in there it's like Leanne from Little Mix wow. Minya Chihuahua the comedian <gasps> Diane Abbott is in it um like Shantae Joseph Jason Okondaye like those Love Island commentators which we all love um <laughs> Bookie Baccaray from the film Rocks. She recently won the BAFTA. Um, so yeah, it's like a lot of really cool people are on it. And I just feel so happy to like be a part of it and to have my name on the cover. Because again, like I said, this has been a dream of mine to have my name on a book in a bookstore. Like when I was younger, this was what I was like dreaming of every day. <laughs> so it's crazy that it's actually happening. And it's something that means so much to me. Um, yeah, I just hope everyone likes it. Oh, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. You can literally just see your Thank face you. beaming. It's so yeah, nice it's just to so see nice someone to happy. Talk about. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so, when you look back at your impressive career, what advice would you give to young people attempting to break into the world of journalism? So, I'd say don't do what I did and put it off for years on end thinking that you're not good enough because. One thing that I've realised since being a journalist is that there are a lot of mediocre writers out there. And, like, it's actually okay. Like, Because I think for me, I always thought that I had to be the best of the best of the best to ever do anything. And because I never felt like I was the best, I wouldn't really do much. And I've realised just that way of thinking isn't 
right at all. Like, if you enjoy something, just do it. Like, who cares if you're shit or if you're not that great? Like, and if you carry on doing something enough, you're just going to get better at it. Like, the way I was writing when I first started is so different to how I write now. Mm. But my love for writing and journalism has made me a better journalist and writer. Um, So if the passion is there, just go for it. Like, please don't be disheartened if you see people that you think are doing really well and then therefore convince yourself to not do it because you're not at their level. Because one thing that I've realised in every industry is that most people don't think they're good enough. Everyone has that, like, imposter syndrome to a certain extent. Like, everyone gets moments where they think that they're not good enough. But if you just remind yourself that you are good enough and that you're great and that you're amazing and you push past it, then you'll exceed and you'll do, like, amazingly well. And I guess in terms of, like, more concrete advice that isn't, like, all airy-fairy in that... (laughs) um, If you're just starting out, don't really know where to go, I'd recommend, like, having, like, a blog or, like, something where you can just put your thoughts down and, like, write and get into good practice. Because I think... And I had this as well, like, a lot of journalists and writers think that if they're not, like... If they haven't got, like, a weekly column in The Guardian or something, then they're just not doing well or they're failing. But I think everyone's voice matters and everyone's voice counts. So... Does it really matter where you're writing, if that's a personal blog or, like, a really small publication? As long as you're putting in that practice and you're trying to hone in your skills and become a better journalist, that's all that matters. So, like, when I was in school, for example, I had this WordPress blog where I'd, like, write once a month about shit going on around me. And I think that was really helpful. Like, I wrote for free for my friend's publication for a bit, like... Just things like that, just to make you feel a bit more confident. If you're struggling with confidence, I think always works out. Yeah, definitely. And no one's perfect when they start out. It is just that exactly. if you've got that passion, it does shine through, even though you're like, that's kind of airy-fairy advice. I think it's like facts. Like, even with this podcast, I was petrified. I put it off for so long because I can't host anything. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dyslexic. How am I going to read my questions? What am I going to do? I'm going to stutter over my words. But I think if you've got the passion and you're genuinely interested in like what you're writing about or the person you're interviewing, it comes across so you don't have to be exactly. like the best of the best. Exactly. And you're like doing an amazing job, by the way. You're like, you're a great host. Oh, I, and like, I, yeah, I think we're we're all just so quick to convince ourselves not to do things right and what you said about comparison as well is such a big thing in like my industry and to hear that you feel the same in your industry I think we all struggle with that yeah and I just always think like if everyone thought that way like there wouldn't be anything out there like it's just it just takes that plunge and just being like you know what fuck it I can do it and like nine times out of ten like it actually ends up being fine and even if it doesn't work out like you've at least learned something like there have been so many things that I've done for example that haven't worked out that or like as I was saying like when I make pictures and they get rejected like rejection is normal I'm not going to act like I've had a very smooth and easy journey Mm. but you learn something from every positive and negative experience right so it just 
it's just a case of kind of reminding yourself that and being a bit fearless, I'd say. So true. Such good advice. I'm so sad. I've literally got to go, but I want to ask you one yeah, more question because okay. yeah. I could speak to you all day. We have to I meet know. up at, after this podcast. I'm like obsessed <laughs> with you. Um, oh, I've always been obsessed with you. So this is great. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Do you have any <laughs> goals for the future? What are your goals for the future? Yeah, I actually do. Um, gosh, again, it stems from another insecurity that I have. But I, the reason why like, I'm always rooting back to things that made me insecure is that um, I'm in my 20s. And one thing that I really want to define my 20s is trying my best to overcome all the things that made me feel insecure and shit about myself as a teenager. So, like, my race, being a black woman, my sexuality... Um, I actually didn't even talk about this, but um, I came out as bi, like, last year, and that's been a really big thing for me. Um, like, me having a writing career, I used to feel really insecure about that. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to, like, face all of these fears and insecurities head-on, I guess, or... And like I said before, like, speak to my inner child, like, all these things that were such a big part of me that I kind of allowed myself to feel shame about, I'm trying to kind of reclaim. So another part of that is fiction writing. So um, when I was younger, I just loved writing short stories. Like, I had loads of ideas for novels and stuff. But when I got older, I didn't think that my writing, my fiction writing or creative writing was that good. I always thought that sounded a bit dumb and I didn't sound like an intellectual or like any of that. Mm. Um, and I think going to uni really intensified that because everyone just sounds so smart and well-read. And as a girl from Essex that speaks really casually, I've just never ever been that kind of person. But I think now that I've done the Black Joy stuff and I know that I actually, I can, I can write, like I definitely can. So I think my next goal is to tackle the fear that I have surrounding my creative writing and just reminding myself that, yeah, I, I can write a book if I want to. Like, I can start planning that and writing that, or like, write a short story. Like, that's the next goal that I have for myself. Oh, my God. This genuinely makes me so happy that you're, like, oh, working on all these, like, insecurities <laughs> that you had. Because I have a therapist that I see weekly, and she was like, all these insecurities are from, like, the inner child. Like, you've got to take care of the inner child. And that is exactly what you're yeah, doing. I, oh, my God. I literally learned it through therapy as well. Like, it's that's been the, my main takeaway from therapy. Like, just speaking to my inner child. Like, oh, it's just, it's really sad how when you grow up, you, um, I, I feel like I've mentioned this a lot to all my friends and stuff. But when you grow up, you, all those things that you loved as a kid, you're kind of made to believe uh, embarrassing. You kind of go into yourself a bit yeah and I'm trying to kind of undo like all those years of me going into myself and feeling like I'm not good enough because I'm the fucking shit like I am good enough I can actually do it like you so are I love it. <laughs> yeah this. so I'm, I'm literally getting calls left right and center but I have to I, yeah, can't not, I can't not ask you about coming out how was that experience for you coming out was it last year did you say yeah so it was like um November December time last year so it's still very recent and fresh um yeah, it was it was so daunting, I'm not going to lie. I, I came out to my parents and, like, my family. Um, and it's, it's, so, it's even weird to talk about now because, like, it still doesn't really feel that real. But I feel like that was... That whole time was kind of the start of 
my new life in a way. I feel like since doing that, I feel so much more confident in myself. I feel like I'm the real me. Yeah. Because it's been a part of me that I've been like ignoring, I'd say. Like, I just kind of thought that with time, I'd like the gay would go away. <laughs> I stopped feeling it. But the older I got, the more I was like, no, this is just who I am. I used to just live in my truth. And um, yeah, like like you were saying about the inner child and therapy, therapy really helped me with that because I was like, this is a, such a big thing that is making me feel shit about myself. And I think if I just live in my truth, like so many things will just feel a lot better. And I'm not gonna lie to you, like there has been some fallout with it, with like family members not really agreeing with me and um, feeling disappointed in me. But I think despite all of that, I don't regret it. I think I should never regret living in my truth. No, so, and being your most yeah. authentic self. And you must yeah. feel like a weight's been lifted. Definitely. It's just so nice. And like, um, I'm in a relationship and I have a girlfriend at the moment and just like being able to like know that I can put her on my social media and, like, not be thinking, be like, oh, my God, are people going to think that, like, we're together? Or, like, be able to hold her hand in public and just small things like that, which used to fill me with so much shame. I'm just like, no, I can do it now. Like, I can actually do it now. Oh, my God. This yeah. has been so uplifting. I love talking oh, to God. you. You are living your best life. Oh, it's been oh, so lovely. <laughs> so lovely chatting Thank to you. Thank so you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please rate five stars and leave a review. And be sure to subscribe so you get next week's episode as soon as it lands. And remember, for the best experience, make sure you listen on the Entel app. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.